Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. She's not from around here. <laughs> you hang around with her a little bit, and you start talking like that all the time. I can't stop. Just can't stop. No. Um, if you want to take out your Bibles, turn to the book of John, chapter 13. Um, we're in a series we started last week called Next. And it's all about where we are as a church and, and where we're going as we head into this fall and into this new uh, year in the life of the church, because that's usually when it starts is in September, October. Um, and this whole series is, is looking at, at the core, why does the church exist? And even more specifically, why do we as a church family exist? Because I do believe that God has this group of people at this place at this time for his purposes. And I believe that has always been the case. And so where we are at and where we are going, we go together. Because we believe also that the journey of faith, the life of faith is a journey. It really is. No one's arrived. You know, some of us might be further along than others, but nobody's arrived. We are all in the process of becoming. We are all in this journey and we are in it together. And wherever you are in that process, there's always a next step. And that's what we're talking about. 19 years ago, when we started Northgate, our dream and our, and our goal was, was to somehow um, fashion a church and be the kind of church that people who maybe had no church background or very bad church background before um, would find a place of acceptance and belonging and a new place to discover God and connect with God and connect with His family. And we came up with this um, mission statement and we put it up there on the screen. Uh, we gave it to you last week, and I had you say it along with me, and we're going to say it along with me again this morning, and we're going to say it along with me so you got it memorized, okay? Um, it goes like this. We exist as a church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Say it with me again. We exist as a church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. What that says is we're all at different places on the spectrum. We're all at different places. And you might be here this morning, and you, you consider yourself far from God, far from the church. Uh, and maybe you've had no church background. Maybe the church experience you had in the past was so bad you'd probably you'd never get back but you know your wife has been bugging you and dragging you and so you're here this morning you know you might be further along and moving strongly forward in your faith but here's the deal no one's arrived there's always a next step and we're in this together and the key operative word in our mission statement is the word become you might want to circle that on your outlines because we're all in the process of becoming that's what church is all about. Now, that is uh, something that's so important that we say around here, what we exist for is to help people connect with God and connect with each other because it's together that we grow. You, you just can't do it on your own. Um, and and that really goes against the grain of our culture because we live in a culture that celebrates individualism. I mean, we, we just idolize the people who stand out from the crowd, who make their own way in the world kind of thing. And we put them up on pedestals um, because we, that's what we celebrate. And, and so because of that, individual rights and individual interests and individual desires become uh, more important than community, more important than family, more important even than personal relationships. It's all about the individual. And I think sometimes as a church, we've kind of bought into that a little bit, the church worldwide, because we talk so often about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is very much true. 
That is absolutely true. No one can, can take that step of faith for you. Everyone has to make that step on their own. And, and no one can decide for you. You've got to make that choice on your own. But in our emphasis on personal, I think sometimes we confuse personal with private. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. It's personal individual relationship with God. It's that connection that I have with God by my step of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's, that's where it starts. It's personal, but it's not private. We share in that together. Faith that connects us with God is the faith that connects us with His church. And they are inseparable. And that's not my idea. That's not my words. That's not what I'm saying because I'm a pastor of a church. It's Jesus' words. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said to his followers, and this is right near the end of his ministry. He says to them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, if you know anything about God, if you know anything about his teaching, if you know anything about the prophets, if you know anything about Scripture, when God says something that's important, when he says it twice, it's really, really important. And when he says it three times, like, you better get this one, okay? And that's what Jesus says here. In case you didn't get it, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's it. That is foundational. That is absolutely foundational. And, and John, who wrote this gospel a little while later, actually wrote some letters to churches that have been established throughout um, Asia. And he wrote these words. It's in 1 John chapter 4. Um, if you want to turn in the, uh, the Bibles on the books we've got um, on the chair next to you, it's page 1209. This is what he writes. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whatever, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, in case you don't know what we're talking about this morning, we're talking about love one another. Okay? 
if you don't get anything else, write this down. Love one another, okay? Because that's what we're looking at. Because he says, that is the key. That is how people will know that we're followers of Jesus. That is how we show what God's doing in our lives. He says, it's all about our loving of one another. There is an inseparable connection between our love for God and our love for each other. And we live in this culture that's so so keyed up on individualism. And so people, and you maybe had these conversations, people say things to me like, well, I'm spiritual. I just don't like religion. I love God, but not the church. You know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. Not too sure about you. you know? <laughs> and a lot of people have that attitude as if like I get a choice. And Jesus said, there's no choice. John says, there's no choice here. You love God. You love his people. So what does that look like? Because if that's our goal and that's who we want to be and that's what we're going through, that's what a wholehearted follower is, is someone who is learning to love like God loves, then how do we do that? How can we help people do that? Because if you love God, you love his people. He says that loving others is the evidence of God's work within us. We know because we love one another. It says God transforms a heart. Only God can transform a heart. But we are not passive in the process. Jesus says you have to decide to love. That's why he made it a command. He says a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. A new command. Now what's new about that? Because that's been around a long time, hasn't it? I mean, that goes all the way back to ancient Israel, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So what's new about that? What's new about that is he's raised the bar. Because it used to be love your neighbor as yourself. But he goes on and he says, as I have loved you, love one another. Raising the bar. It's not just even how you love yourself. It's how God has loved you. How Jesus Christ has expressed his love to you. That's the way you love. And you know what? We long for that love. And we know we ought to love that way. And we know we should do that. But we don't. Do you know that in every major religion, there is some kind of an expression of what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And every major religion has some form of that saying in their teaching. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis, who, who was not always a believer, didn't come to become a follower of Christ until much, much later in his life. He was a philosopher. He was a writer. He wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. And it's a very small book. But in the book, what he did was he researched all the major and even not so major world religions. And he found out that in all of his study, that there were, there were eight basic commandments that seemed to be in every world religion. Every one of them had these eight commandments. Every religion has some form of a commandment that says, do not harm others in word or deed. Every religion has somewhere in its commandments, honor your parents. Every religion has, be kind to siblings and the elderly. Every religion in the world teaches Be honest in all your dealings. Do not lie. Every religion in the world teaches, in some form or another, do not have sex with another person's spouse. Care for those who are weaker than you. 
Put others first. See, we all know that. Every religion teaches that. In fact, because of the way God designed us and created us, we all have this inherently within us. That's why it's so common. We know it's the way society ought to work. We know it's how we ought to behave. You know, every religion has the do's and don'ts and, you know, thou shalt and shalt nots and ought to and ought nots. And even, even if you don't believe in God, just even within you, you know this is how I'm supposed to behave. This is how I'm supposed to treat people. And though we know it, we don't do it. We don't do it. We know we ought to. We're just not very good at carrying it out. I mean, just kind of illustrate that this morning. Just by a show of hands, let's go through these eight commandments together, okay? Um, let me ask you, anyone here ever in your life, have you ever harmed somebody else with your words or with your actions? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody here, have you ever dishonored, talked back to, sassed at your parents? Yeah, okay. How about this one? Have you ever been unkind to your brother or sister? Yeah, okay. Have you ever, anybody here ever been just a little bit mm, dishonest in some of your business? You know, just, you didn't lie, you know, but you didn't quite give all the truth. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, How many of you are willing to lie about the next one? Because I know you're all sitting there, okay, this one's coming up. Is he going to make us raise our hands? Am I going to have to lie right here and try? Okay, so how many have ever read a book, watched a TV program, or seen a movie that had something to do with somebody cheating on their spouse? Okay, okay yeah, we can all raise our hands on that one. That's safe. See, here's the deal. We all know we don't do. And then Jesus comes along and he says, it's not only treat people like you would want to be treated, it's not only love as you love yourself, he raises the bar and he says, love as I have loved you. How do you do that? What he's doing is he's raising the bar and he's saying, love is not about warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is not even about good intentions or having not nice thoughts toward people. Love is not even about being compatible with each other. I have this great idea for a website. I, I, just, I came up with this this week. I thought, this is the perfect thing. I could make millions of dollars on this website. It's going to be kind of an eHarmony.com for churches and Christians. You know, Match.com for churches and Christians. Where you can kind of go online, you can check, I like this kind of music, not that kind of music. I like these kind of preachings, not that kind of preaching. I want to teach the blah, 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 blah. And you go, and they would match you up with the perfect church for you. I think would make millions. Because that's how we shop for churches. We shop for churches. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus says, shop for the church that suits you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. When we love each other, when we learn to love each other, what we're doing is we're saying, God's at work in my life. And see, Jesus didn't just give a command. What he did was something more. He gave us the ability John writes it this way. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then a few sentences down, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Every time we sin, we harm a relationship. It either harms our relationship with God or harms our relationships with people around us. And most often, it does both. Every time we sin, we destroy or harm relationship. And what God did was he sent his one and only son to take the punishment for that sin, to reunite us with God, to bring us back and restore us back into relationship with him because we couldn't do it on our own. And so God now is at work within us. And when we love each other, we are working out and demonstrating that God is doing something within. And that's how it works. Religious rules and commandments can't change hearts. Just adding another commandment isn't going to change us. It takes something more. Timothy Keller writes about it in his book, The Prodigal God, which um, we've got like one copy, I think, at the resource center. No, I think we sold it. Um, but I highly recommend this book. Just an incredibly powerful and kick-in-the-butt kind of book, okay? Um, but this is what he writes. He says, religion operates on the principle of, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. This basic operating princi- the basic operating principle of the gospel is, I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. Believing the gospel is how a person first makes a connection with God. It gives us a new relationship with God and a new identity. We must not think, however, that once believing it, the Christian is now finished with the gospel message. Jesus doesn't love us because we are beautiful. We become beautiful through Jesus' sacrificial love. Faith in the gospel restructures our motivations, our self-understanding, our identity, and our view of the world. Behavioral compliance to rules without heart change will be superficial and fleeting. Knowing that we could not fulfill the command on our own, he made a way for us to do it. And when we love one another, we are showing God is at work. Now, it might take some work on our part, but God is at work. And what we ask ourselves all, around, all the time around here, especially in the church leadership, is how can we help people better do that? How can we help people work out what God is working in? And we realize, you know, when it comes to relationships, because really, according to this, your personal relationships are the best indicator of your relationship with God. If you want to know how you're doing in your relationship with God, look at how you're dealing with the people around you. He says, that's the best indicator. You love God, you love his people. You don't love his people, you don't really love God. And that's the big, but, but we have relationships of all different stripes. And we're all at different places along this journey. And so we got to realize that, that, that not everybody is way over here like in graduate level loving yet, okay? Some of us are at the first step of it. So what we've tried to do as a church is provide opportunities for that to happen. And we know we can't force that. We can't artificially manufacture that. We can't put people into positions and say, okay, now do it, okay? But what we can do is we can provide the opportunities for that to happen. And what we've done around here, one of the things we've done, for those who are kind of at entry level is we've tried to provide as many entry points for people to build relationships. Because we believe when you build relationships with one another, it opens the door and starts to foster a relationship with God. 
And as we grow in our relationship with God, it improves our relationships with each other. And as we work on our relationship with God, it improves our relationship with God. And so we said, okay, what are the entry points? How can we help people get connected with God and just start getting connected with each other? And some of the things that we've done around here, the, the, the golf tournament that we're going to have at the end of this month, that is a connecting point. It's an opportunity for you to invite a friend who maybe has no interest at all in church to meet some of your church friends. And by the way, those of you who are golfing, there is no swearing on that day, okay? <laughs> Be a good example. But it, 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 it's the relationships. It's the relationships. So we want to provide entry-level relationships. Northgate University is another, another great opportunity. You may not know those people, but you're at a certain life stage. You both have teenage kids, you know, Y'all, and, and you want to learn how to do this better. And so that might be their meeting place in, in that class, but you're going to build a relationship there. Your, your finances might be a mess right now, and you need some real help getting them. But, and if you go to this class, you're going for the teaching, but you're going to build some relationships there because that's how it works. One of the things we did last year, this past year, we, we did something without a whole lot of fanfare, um, we, we just, we moved this room back here. We made it a cafe. We didn't make a whole big announcement. We just put a different sign on it. We bought good coffee instead of that crummy stuff we used to have, okay? And, and we set up tables and chairs for people to gather around. And you know what? People do. People do. Because we long for that connection. In fact, one of the things we want to do, because that's, it's really not in a good location, one of the things we're planning to do, what we'd like to do this fall, is kind of rearrange the spaces and, and turn this whole room over here into a, a much more accessible, wide-open cafe instead of you know, through the double doors and around the crowd of people. But it's so that we can build connections, help people make connections. And, and, and here's the thing. You think, well, that's just so shallow and superficial. Listen, the deepest relationship you have in your life right now started out shallow. It started out with small talk. And sometimes people say, I don't like making small talk. It's just, nah, nah, nah. That's where you start. Where you take it from there is up to you. But if we can get just people in conversation, that's a starting point. And as we grow in this, what we're doing is we're showing God's at work in us. God's in work, at work in us. And the opportunities that we provide for personal relationships are there to foster God relationships. And that's why we do them. A second thing John talks about here when it comes to loving others is that loving others matures God's love among us. As we start loving each other, it matures and forms that love within us, God's love within us. Because every relationship needs a starting point, but relationships can't stay static. They have to keep moving forward. We grow in love. And God's character, John says, and in fact, Jesus' life and his death were all evidence of and the essence of love. He says, God is love. This is how he showed his love. He sent his one and only son. And so if I'm going to be formed into the image of Christ, that image looks like love. And to become a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ means to be constantly growing in maturity in love. And the way that that happens is when it's challenged, when it's put to the test. And the real question that we need to ask ourselves, if we want to, if we want to measure our spiritual formation and our maturity at any way, is how well am I at loving? And by the way, this is not the question you point to other people and say, how well are you at it? Okay. This is self-examination. Am I becoming a more loving person? And if you want to know what that looks like, 
Read 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, that could be your homework assignment this week. Is just read 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John, the whole book of 1 John. And you'll get a better picture. This is what Paul wrote about to the Corinthian church. Love is patient. How patient are you with the people around you? Are you becoming more or less patient? Are you growing at all in that? Love is kind. How kind am I? Does not envy. Does not boast, is not proud, is not rude. Whoa. When I took that parking spot in front of another person, that wasn't love. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Am I able to let go of the hurts and offenses that other people have given me? Or do I hold on to them? It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, doesn't give up. Love never fails. And John said it's that kind of love that God is forming within us. And he says there are two things at work here. There are two influences at work. One of them is the Spirit of God within us. The other is the personal relationships we have with the people around us. That's what he says. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we, love, we are, live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. That his spirit within us and the relationships around us are the things that grow and mature our love. And if we're going to get beyond superficial relationships and move into community, that's what it's going to take. He goes on. He says, so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We rely on his love. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us. This whole work, it's what God's doing in us and among us. It happens simultaneously. It happens together. And the church, our job as a church, our job as a church family, church leadership is to provide as many opportunities for that to happen as possible that we want to get people in community. And we we understand, and you understand this too, Sunday morning is just a connecting point. It really is. It's kind of an entry-level connection. And we hope that through our worship and our music and our teaching, um, that people are making a connection with God and starting to make connections with other people. That's what we pray for, and that's what we long for. But here's the truth. The truth of the matter is, the most inspiring music, the most compelling excellent message that you get around here every week has very limited impact because statistically within 24 hours we forget somewhere in the close to 90 percent of anything we have heard and if you're 55 it goes way up (laughs) and that's a really depressing statistic for preachers let me tell you so what we know is that it's not just going to happen on sunday morning It's got to go beyond that because it's not just about attending and listening. It's about engaging. It's not what I do on Sunday morning so much as Monday morning. And what we really know and what we all know, we all know this to be true, is the greatest change happens in community. Love is developed and matured and refined among the people we do life with. That's where it happens. 
And so what we try to do is say, how can we help people make those kinds of connections? Because what John's saying here is what we all know to be true. We know and rely on the love that God has for us and His love, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. We know that to be true. We know that it takes not just reading it for ourselves, studying it for ourselves, although we need to do that. It's not just Sunday morning attendance. Where it really happens is in relationships with the people we do life with. And we know that to be true. And because anyone here who is a parent, you are very, very careful about your, your kids' friends. Aren't you? You want to know what kind of friends your kids are getting along with because you know friendships have an influence. It's like if you decide to take up running, you find a running partner because you know you need somebody to hold you accountable because you'll do it for a week and then you'll stop unless there's somebody else kind of pushing you along. People will buy gym memberships and hire a personal trainer so that they will make sure they show up because if they don't, they're in big trouble because we know. It's the relationships around us that spur us to action and behavior and change. And that's what John's talking about. It's made complete among us. It happens together. So what we have said is, how can we help people build those kinds of relationships? And again, it's not something we can manufacture. It's not something we can force people into. In fact, John, through this whole thing, you know, he's doing everything he can to get people to understand this. He's trying, it's like, you read this chapter and he's going, it's it's like he's trying every possible way. How can I word this so people get it? But ultimately, it's up to you. One of the key things that we have done around here and made an emphasis around here, and we have actually from the very, very beginning of the life of this church, is our small groups, particularly our community groups. That is the primary way. Because in a community group, what we do is we gather around God's Word. And we take, um, we take actually, most of our groups take the message that was preached on Sunday, the passage that we looked at together on Sunday, because there's only so much you can cover and so much you can talk about on Sunday, and we take it apart, and we look at it, and we examine it, and we wrestle with it. And, and, and we, we, how does this hit my life? Here's where I need help with this one. And, and, and by the way, we know that doesn't happen in every one of our community groups. And so maybe if you're in a community group that that's not happening, maybe it's up to you to take it a step deeper. Because, yeah, you can show up at a community group, but that can be just as superficial as a Sunday morning. But if you make the choice to go deeper, you'll grow. And you spend some time learning here and, and, and you go home and you read throughout the week and you download the questions because we got them available online so you can prep ahead of time and think about them beforehand and then come to your group and start to share, share life and pray for and support and encourage each other and help each other. This is, where it helped, this is what helped me. This is where I wrestled with this. And, and we help that happen. Can't force it, can't artificially manufacture it, but we can provide the opportunities. And our goal is what John writes about. I love the way the message paraphrase puts it. When we, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. And this way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us. And that happens when we shared life together. And then the last thing is that loving others expresses God's grace through us. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He says, love is to be the defining characteristic of my followers. Love is to be the defining characteristic of the church. And that kind of love 
is what we call grace. It is unmerited, undeserved, freely given. It is a love that John talks about. The Greek word is agape. And and it's not a religious word particularly, but it was used to describe the kind of love that engenders love, that creates value and worth in people. It's a kind of love that's not just love that what I get out of it or love that what we share in common, but it's love where I give and in giving bring love to someone else. And the New Testament writer said, that's the word that describes God's love. And that's the word that they used when they wrote about it. And it's the one thing, the one thing that the church has to offer the world that they cannot get anywhere else. And that kind of love overcomes everything. It overcomes offenses. It overcomes hurts. It overcomes misunderstandings. It overcomes fear. And sadly, I think as a church worldwide, we have not been so good at getting that message out. Gary Berg, who's a professor at Wheaton College, um, one of the things he did, uh, and I think he still, still continues to do, at the beginning of um, at the semester, the beginning of the semester, he would have his students, like 30, 40 kids in his class, he would have them each write a one-page essay about their coming to Christ and their spiritual life. And he wanted them to write about one of two things. Is your relationship with God based on your fear of displeasing him and what he'll do to you? Or is it based on his wonderful love and mercy and grace that draws you to him? And he says, invariably, and these are like kids who grew up in church, who know the Bible, invariably says, 90% of his students write about a religion and a faith that is based on fear of God. And he said, what if we could get people to see how much God loves them and how much that love can transform their lives and their relationships with each other and make a difference in the world? See, in the church, in community, grace becomes personal because we're all on, the same, all on the same page, pretty much. I mean, we all know that we are sinners saved by grace. We all know that we've got no chance for a relationship with God were it not for what Jesus did for us. We all know that it's not what we have done. We understand that it's... A, it, so here's the best place to practice it because we all understand. We're all coming from the same perspective. And so he says, you practice grace among yourselves so it can be demonstrated to the world around us. By this will all men know you are my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. And so our goal as a church is constantly, how can we become more loving? How can we stimulate and prod people to love and mercy and grace? And and sometimes we're good at it and sometimes we're not. And, and, you know, do we make mistakes sometimes? Do we ever get it perfectly right? Never. Never. Do we sometimes, as leaders, cause the problems? Yeah. But our goal, and we just renewed this this last week in our staff meeting, that as pastors and leaders in this church, we need to do everything we can to love people and help them love each other. And we're going to learn along with you. I mean, we're, none of us have it made. 
but we're going to do it together because it's together, God says, that it happens. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.